such a joy to be able to worship with you this morning, this, this Resurrection Sunday. So good to see uh, all of you here this morning. It's uh, been a pleasure to meet some people here for the first time. And so welcome to those of you uh, who are visiting for our, to our church who I haven't met yet, uh, especially for those of you who are visiting for the, for the first time. And it's good to just see old friends again, too, and uh, see a lot of, of, of you this morning. I haven't been able to say hi to everyone, so uh, Hi. It's good to, good to have you here this morning. I hope that you are encouraged as we look at God's Word together. I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. If you're not a part of our church, uh, you may not know, but we're going through the book of Acts right now. And so we're taking uh, this Sunday off. And we're going to be, I'm, I'm going to be out of the pulpit next week. And then uh, in two weeks we'll be back in Acts chapter 20 as we continue to look at the nature of, of elders in, in the church and these, these servants that God has, has given to the church for our, our benefit. But we're in Romans 8 this morning. And on Friday, Good Friday, we looked at lament. And the lament we saw was a, a song of, of sorrow uh, that, that turns to, to trust, a song from, from pain, a prayer from pain that, that turns into trust. That's what a biblical lament is. And this morning, the, the text that we're looking at here in Romans chapter 8, it describes a time when lament will cease. Lament is not something that's going to exist forever. Lament is something that we, we cry out in a time of pain in a broken world. The world is not going to be broken forever. The world is going to be fixed. It's going to be renewed. God is going to, to, to deal with the brokenness of this world. And at that time, uh, there will be no more cause for lament. There will be nothing to lament about because God will have, have fixed this broken world. And so we're going to, to think about what that looks like this morning as we talk about the end of lament. And so if you're able to this morning, uh, please stand with me as we look at God's Word. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. I'm reading from a, a version of the Bible called the English Standard Version. And Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we do ask in your kindness that you would allow us to understand you more fully today. We pray that you would help us to look forward to your return, that each of us would place our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, trusting in his finished work on the cross for our salvation and that we would have an eager expectation for your return, an eager expectation for the resurrection from the dead. We pray this in the hope of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I'm going to be uh, quoting from uh, two authors uh, a couple of times this morning, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and, and C.S. Lewis. And for those of you who, who like Tolkien and Lewis, I think you're going to have a fun time this morning. Uh, that many of you like that sort of thing. Uh, they, they, I think those two authors have done a really great job of, of capturing the idea of, of joy. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, the author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, he, he talked about what made a, a, a story, a fairy tale, complete. He says a, a good fairy tale needs a happy ending, but not just a happy ending. It also needs some, some sorrow and some pain. And that, that happy ending needs to be contrasted with a time of sorrow and pain. And no matter how wild the adventures are in a fairy tale, at the beginning and in the middle, they're, they're, and no matter how much it seems like all hope is lost and disaster is imminent, there needs to be this, this ending that brings joy and happiness. And he says there's a, when, when there's that turn from, from sorrow where it seems like all is lost to, to happiness, that's an important part of the story. In fact, he, he created a word to describe the turn from sorrow to joy, the, the time in a story where everything seems lost to the, the time in the story where it seems like, like all things are going to work out. The, the word that he coined was eucatastrophe. He writes this, you know, catastrophe means a, a sudden turn for the worse. Eucatastrophe uh, takes the Greek word for good and the word for turn, puts them together, and it's a, it's a good turn. It's a turn in the story where things are going to work out. Here's what he writes in the letter. He said, I coined the word eucatastrophe, the sudden happy turn in a story, which pierces you with a joy that brings tears. That turn in the story provides a sudden glimpse of truth. Your, your whole nature feels a sudden relief, as if a, a major limb that was out of joint suddenly snaps back into place. At that moment in the story, you perceive that this indeed is how things really work in this great world for which our nature is made. And Tolkien rightly understood that the resurrection is the, the great eucatastrophe. The true eucatastrophe, that, that true turn in, in human history that, that brought sorrow and, and, and gloom and, and turned it into a, a time of, of joy and rejoicing. These verses that we're looking at this morning show a, a turn. They contrast two times, the, the time of lament and a time where lament will come to an end. And the reason that there is this, this turn is because of the resurrection. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to, to look at these, these two times contrasted with one another. The, the time in which there's lament, and that's the time we live in now, and a, and a time in which there will not be lament. And even though we do not live in this time when lament has come to an end, we look forward to that time and we begin to, to receive some of the benefits of the future now. And I want us to think about that as well. Here's kind of the, the main idea that I want us to look at this morning. It's, it's just this, the, the sorrows of today, this is what I want us to kind of think through together. The sorrows of today are but a, a dim shadow of the joys that await us in, await us in Christ. The, the sorrows of today are but a, a dim shadow of the joys that await us in Christ. 
And we're going to talk about that idea by looking at both the, the time of lament that we're in right now and the time when lament comes to an end. And we see both of these times in view in Paul's writing as he writes these verses in Romans chapter 8. And, and as I say this, by the way, I understand that there are, are two audiences here this morning that I'm, that I'm thinking about. I know that, that some of you are here and you would say, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I have not placed my faith in, in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you might say, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. I, I kind of have my, my doubts about the Christian faith. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, I, what it is I, I believe. And, and for you, as we talk about the time of lament, I, I hope that as we, we look at the world in which we are right now, that we give you a sense of longing. You say, okay, I, I want this God has placed me in this time of lament, and, and I want this future that, that Scripture describes. I hope as we talk about this first section, there's a, there's a time of yearning that you have. And then the other audience, of course, that I have in mind is those of you who are in Christ, those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ for eternal life. As I, I think about you, I hope that you have a, a sense of joy as you think about the end of lament, that this time for which God has prepared us. So let's first of all talk about the time of lament, and we're going to look, kind of go through these verses and see both of these things kind of together, the the time of lament and the end of lament, but first I want to focus on the parts of the the passage that talk about the time of lament and what the characteristics of this time are. So number one, what's the first thing we see about this time of lament? Number one, we see that the time of lament is a time of suffering, and look at your Bibles with me, and look at how verse 18 begins. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, two two things about what he's saying there, right? First of all, notice that word suffering, that word suffering. It's from the Greek word pothema. It means means a, a time of of, of suffering or a time in which that which is suffered is endured. It means misfortune. There's this, this time of, 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 of heartache and a time of difficulty. It doesn't just mean persecution. This word suffering can in, entail all sorts of, of difficulties that we encounter as we live in a broken world, a world full of sin. We, we live in a time of suffering in which there is there's the heartache of persecution for sure, but there's also just the, the reality of, of living with a, a body that is going to get sick, a body that is, is frail. It's a time in which we live, in which we know that there are going to be times of, of suffering, emotional, physical difficulties. That's what is meant by the word suffering. But notice also what else Paul says here. He says it's, it's the sufferings of this present time. The, the time frame that Paul is talking about is, is right now. We, we live in a time that's, that's marked by suffering, by, by, by difficulty, by misfortune. Whenever something bad happens to someone, it, it's not necessarily a, a surprise to us. Like someone comes to us and says, uh, you know, hey, Daniel, uh, how you doing? I say, I'm doing okay. They say, you know, I had a really bad week last week. I, I had a cold. I don't say, you had a, I've never heard of someone having a cold before. That's, that's remarkable. Or someone comes to you and says, yeah, I lost my job last week. I've never heard of someone losing their job. That's, that's shocking to me. We know about people getting sick. We know about people having financial difficulty. We know about people having loss of, of loved ones. We know about financial and physical and emotional and spiritual. We know about all the sorts of, for, of misfortunes because that's the time that we live in. It's not, it's not surprising that 
bad things happen to us and people we love. This is a, a time of suffering. This, that's this present time. So the time of lament that we live in right now is a time of suffering. The second thing that I want you to notice here, number two, the time of lament is, is a time of, of longing. Look at verse 19. Paul says, For the creation waits with eager longing. That word creation that Paul uses throughout this passage, he's, he's using figuratively. He's describing that word kind of means like the, the world below humanity that's created. But I think what Paul is doing is he's giving that, that creation uh, a personification. And so it's, it's like the, the same things that we experience in our, our fallen world. He's, he's saying that the creation is, is experiencing this as well. It's, it's this world in which we lament, in which we have sorrow. He says this, this, this creation personified, this world, this created world is longing for something. That, that word means to, to desire, to, to look forward to, to, to desire intently. It, it longs for something better. This longing that we experience in the physical world can't be met, of course, by the physical world. That's part of God's grace, in fact. If you've ever had that experience where you've, you've ordered a product online, maybe you've gone to a big online retailer or something, and you, you order this, this, this thing, maybe it's a, a new outfit or it's a, a book that you really want to read or some sort of electronic gadget, and, 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 and you wait for that thing to come. You think, oh, yeah, I can't wait for this thing. And maybe, maybe you guys aren't like, maybe you're, maybe you're way more spiritual than I am. But you, you get the email, your, your package is on the way, and so you kind of open it up, and you're tracking it, and, and it, 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 it's, you're kind of watching where it goes, and it starts in China, and then it goes to, like, Australia, and then it's going all, and you're like, okay, come on, Peoria, Peoria, Peoria. Peoria is a very hard place, I think, for packages to get, right? <laughs> so, in fact, I, I ordered a... I don't know if you can see this. I ordered a phone case. Sometime. This, this phone case is not doing well. Um, I ordered it, and it's it, about nine months. It's still not here, um, but I have faith. I'm trusting. <laughs> Things longed for. No, no. I actually, I gave up. It's, it's, I got, I'm going to get another one. But, but you know, even if, that, even if that, that case or whatever that object is, when it gets here, you're excited for a moment, right? But when you open that package, you know that's not the last thing you're ever going to want, right? That book arrives, and, and you've been tracking it, and, and, and you see, okay, it's, it's, your, your package has arrived. Okay, i got to get home and see my package. And you open the box, and you think, oh, that's it. I'm never going to want another physical object again. It, I've now uh, achieved perfect happiness and satisfaction. I, I've never heard someone say that. No matter how, how excited you are, you realize, okay, there's always a longing for a little bit more. Always longing for a little bit more. That's the nature of the physical world we live in. The desires we have are, are never quite satisfied by the physical world. Herman Bavink, in, in his book, the, the Wonderful Works of God, writes this. He says, there is a yearning, a, a longing for an eternal order, which God has, has planted in the heart of man, in the innermost recesses of his being, the core of his personality, and it's the cause of the indisputable fact that everything which belongs to the, to the physical world cannot satisfy us. Man is, a, is an earthly, limited, and mortal being. And, even, and he's attracted yet to the eternal, 
and is destined for it. It is of no profit to a man that he should gain wife and children, houses and fields, treasures and property, or indeed the whole world, if in the gaining his soul should suffer loss. In this time of lament that you and I live right now, it's, it's a time of longing, and, and God in his grace gives us this longing for something more. And, and maybe, again, maybe you're a person who is not in Christ this morning. You haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and, and you recognize, boy, there's, there's a longing for something else, a longing for something more. And I, and I recognize, I, I look at the physical world around me, this, this physical world cannot satisfy this, this longing that I have. Which brings me to the third thing about this time of lament. Number, number three we see in this passage, that the time of lament is a time of futility. This time in which we find ourselves in, that the world doesn't work in a way that, that makes sense. Paul writes this. Here's why. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. He's talking here about the, the emptiness. This word futility means this, the emptiness, the purposelessness of life. Things don't operate in the, the way that they should. As we engage in, in work, as we engage in relationships, we have this idea that if we do these things, then this should happen. And yet, as, as the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us again and again, under the sun, life on this earth, everything is, is vanity, everything is, is futile. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 39. He says to God, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Let me suggest to you this morning, especially if you are not a believer, let me suggest to you that this longing and this sense of futility that perhaps even this last week God has made you aware of in some very significant ways, let me suggest to you that that is part of God's grace and not allowing you to find satisfaction in the things of this world. There was a time uh, many years ago whenever uh, Whitney was walking through Walmart with our daughter Hannah. And uh, Hannah, as, as a little girl, was kind of looking through all the, the, the toy aisles. And as they were walking past one section of uh, an end cap, there was a, a beautiful dress. And Hannah goes, oh, Mom, can, can we buy this dress? And, and, and Whitney said, hey, Hannah, we, we do not have the, the money for that, that dress. And we just, we just keep going, so you keep on walking. And then later that day, uh, a woman from church sees, sees Hannah and, and asks, uh, hey, Hannah, how? How are you doing? And Hannah goes, not great. We don't have money for clothes. <laughs> not technically true, you know. Hannah had to explain, when he had to explain, no, we, we're not destitute. We just, <laughs> we just have money for th those clothes. You know, that's how we're going to spend our, our money, right? Yeah. Why, why does Whitney do that? Whitney's a good mom. She's not going to just have Hannah randomly walk down aisles of Walmart d deciding, you know, I want this and I want that and I want this and I want that. that that's not going to bring happiness. That's not a great way to parent. The same way with, with God. 
he allows us to live in this world and, and, and to do things, but he doesn't allow us to experience our, our ultimate satisfaction here in this world. And, and maybe, again, maybe this, this past week, as you've engaged in, in work, as you've engaged in relationships, you just recognize this, this isn't, this isn't, this, is, this can't be all that there is. The fourth thing we see here, the time of lament is a, is a time of, of waiting. Paul says this, verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as, as we wait eagerly. So, so right now, this time of lament, I, I hope that all of us can, can sense this as, as God has revealed it to us in, in the essence of, of who we are as we made, made in the image of God. We recognize there, there's something more to come. This is a time of, of waiting, of expectation. You know, this morning uh, we, we, uh, we praise God as, as three New, new children have been born uh, just in this past uh, two weeks, and I think four in the last uh, six weeks or so. You know? it's, it's a time of celebration, and you, you talk to these new moms, and they talk about just how, how, how enjoyable right after you know, having the baby and how hard it was before, and, and now the, the baby's here, and just, just this time of, of joy. And then you, you see you know, we have some people who are still expecting, and there's just this time of waiting, right? This time of, of, of some, waiting, waiting for something more. God, I think, puts that within ourselves to recognize this, this time in which we live in a futile world, a world in which there's pain and sorrow. There, there's there's got to be something more to come. A few years ago, I was listening to a, an episode of This American Life. It was an episode called you're, You'll Understand When You're Older. And the last story told of a man named Carl Dozen. Carl had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's at the age of 79, and he, and he talks in the story about how he goes to the doctor, and, and his doctor visits, and the doctor will ask him what his name is, and Carl never has a problem with that. The doctor will ask him things like, what's today's date, and who's the president, and Carl does okay with those questions. But then there's always a question that, that gets him. The doctor will ask Carl, can you, can you draw a clock and show me what time it is? And Carl says that. That one stumped him. He says he had to, to relearn how to, to tell time. It's a tricky thing to watch, right? In the story, this is what the narrator says. Carl got a graduate degree in physics. He studied motion, electromagnetism. He spent a lot of his life deep in the study of space and time, of numbers. He taught physics and mathematics for years, and it was unnerving that he couldn't draw a clock, and it's, the narrator says this, Carl would sit with his tools and his paper and his physicist's desire to decompose the problem before him. And he took apart each element of the clock until it made sense to him that the three layers, the fact that the eye first goes to the larger minute hand, and, and your, your brain has to override that to focus on the smaller hour hand, which is actually more important, even though it's smaller, not the first thing you see. And then you're, you're supposed to move to the longer minute hand, but don't be fooled, because that second hand is also longer, but it's skinnier. It's a hard thing to tell the time with a clock. And so the, in, in, the, in the story, there's this moment toward the end of the story where the, the host asks Carl, can, can you look at a clock right now and tell me what time it is? And as you're listening, 
it's very painful to, to, to listen to, to the struggle Carl goes through. The narrator says that his wife looks nervous. We're all leaning in. I stopped breathing. Carl spends a while on the hour hand and then starts counting by fives in a whisper around the face of the clock. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. And then he pauses and he says, 140. And he's right. You know, I just, oh. But, but Carl recognizes and he talks with the narrator about this. He goes, this, I have to do this every time. And, and sometime he's not going to be able to do it, right? The narrator says, well, that's a lot of work. Don't you worry you're going to forget again. There's so much analysis that goes into just telling what time it is. And listen to what Carl says. Carl says, yeah, but that's why I have to do this. There's no path back. And that's true in the world of lament, right? That, that's true for this, this time of lament. We live in a, in a, in a time of suffering. We, we live in a suffering in this present time. And, and from a, a person's perspective who doesn't believe in e- eternity and in, in God's resurrection, then, then this is all there is. And it says it's either a, a long or a sudden decline to, to death. There, there's no path backward uh, apart from God's divine intervention. And, and this morning, again, if, if you're not a believer, my hope would be that you say, okay, I, rec- I look at the world around me. I would agree this, is a, this present time is a time of suffering. There's got to be a reason that there's suffering. Like, who says this is bad? Well, obviously, someone has, has created the world to be a certain way, and this isn't how it is. Why is that? And the answer is because of sin. By God's grace, he intervenes, though. There is a, a path back. And that path is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my encouragement to you would be to recognize your, your need for Jesus Christ and to place your trust in him alone for salvation. Which brings us to the time of the end of lament. The end of lament. You see, this passage also describes the end of lament, a, a eucatastrophe. It's, it's just, remember, that's the word Tolkien uses to describe a, a sudden good turn that evokes this emotional response and helps us see that which is truly true. And, 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 and Tolkien uses this often in his work. So, for example, in Return of the King, the last part of the Lord of the Rings series, there's a, they're kind of the terrible ordeals are at an end, and this character Samwise has, has just woken up as, as he's been through this terrible ordeal, and he looks and he sees his friend Gandalf, and he says this. He says, Gandalf, I, I thought you were dead, but then I, I thought I was dead myself. Is, listen to what he says. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? There's been this event, and now all the, the sad things have happened, and now are, all, all the sad things going to come untrue as, as we enter into this, this new phase of reality. And listen to what ha- happens. Gandalf says, a great shadow has departed. And Gandalf laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known, but he himself burst into tears. Then, as a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer, His tears ceased, and his laughter welled up, and the laughter 
echoed as he sprang from his bed. Sorrow leads to joy. And how does that turn take place? It's ultimately through the resurrection. Here's a couple things to notice about the resurrection in the time of the end of the lament. This is our future. Number one, the end of lament will be a time of, of glory. Uh, Paul says this. He says, that, that he says in, in verse 18, he says, the sufferings of this present time, and then this way he says, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, I wonder if we really believe what Paul is saying here. Consider all that we've already said about suffering this morning. Think about your, your deepest suffering. And, and Paul says the, the suffering that we experience isn't worth comparing with the glory. Now, Paul is not saying that the suffering isn't real. Sometimes some philosophers have, have said, well, you know, suffering is an illusion and it's not really suffering. And that, it, that makes a mockery out of the pain that many of us have been through, right? It makes a mockery out of the pain that some of us are going through this morning. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul isn't saying your pain isn't real. He's not saying your pain isn't profound. He's not saying your pain isn't terrible. He's acknowledging the realness of it. What he is saying, he's not minimizing your pain. He's maximizing your joy. He says, in Christ, in Christ, the, the sufferings that are very real that you're going through right now aren't worth comparing to the glories that await us. That's staggering to me to think about. As C.S. Lewis put it this way as he, think, as he talked about a character experiencing the, the new heavens and new earth, the character said, this is my real home. I belong here. This is the land that I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why I love the old world is that sometimes the old world looked a little bit like this, and that's true for us as well. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. It's true for those of us who are in Christ. Number two, the time of an end of lament will be a time of revealing. He says in verse 19, contrasting these things, he says it's a time of eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Things are going to be fully known. Matt Smethurst puts it this way, that in, the, in, the, in, in the gospel, there's a change in heaven's courtroom. It changes from a trial of condemnation to an adoption ceremony. It changes from a criminal trial to an adoption ceremony. I don't think we grasp the, the fullness of this. There's going to be a, a time of, of revealing that we're sons and daughters of God. Number three, the end of lament will be a time of, of freedom. Paul continues, he says, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's verse 21. And oftentimes, sometimes when the world speaks of freedom, what does the world mean? The world means a, a freedom to, to do whatever it is we desire in accordance with our, our hearts of flesh. And, and that's not what Scripture speaks of whenever Scripture speaks of freedom. Scripture says, look, you're going to be free to walk in obedience and joy to God. Romans 6 we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we no longer be enslaved to sins. The, the ability to sin is not freedom, it's enslavement. 
For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion, power, authority over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Believer, that is an amazing phrase that you and I can say together. In Christ, what do we have the ability to do? We have the ability to look to the future and experience now the benefit that awaits us in the future. He says, consider yourselves, think about yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The last thing here, the end of lament will be a time of redemption. It says in verse 23, we're waiting for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And this is the hope we were saved. Hope that is seen is not hope for hope, for who hopes what he sees. But if we, we hope for what we do not see, we, we wait for it with patience. And so right now we're in this time before the, the revealing of us in our fullness of our adoption. We're, we're in this time before the fullness of our redemption. We've already experienced it positionally in Christ, and we're waiting for the fullness of the realization of that. It'll be a time of the fullness of redemption. As Paul would put it this way in Colossians 1, he's delivered us in, in the present right now from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the ability now to live as who someday we will fully be. We've already been redeemed, waiting for the fullness of that redemption, which is why our lament can become praise and worship as we look forward to eternity. I began with a quote from Tolkien, so I've got a quote from his friend C.S. Lewis as, as we prepare to come to a close here. It's said that Tolkien convinced C.S. Lewis of the truths of Christianity while they're out on a, on a walk. And the way that Tolkien convinced Lewis of the truths of Christianity was to, was to talk about story and the things that Lewis loved about story. He said, look, Christianity is, is the true story that all other stories are a shadow of. And I, I think Lewis might have had that conversation in mind whenever he was writing the Dawn Treader. And there's this, this scene in the Dawn Treader where Lucy, the character in the, the story, is, is reading from this, this book. She's reading from this magician's book, and she reads this story entitled, For the Refreshment of the, of the Spirit. Lewis writes this, the pictures were fewer here, but very beautiful. The story went on for three pages, and before she had read to the bottom of the page, she'd forgotten what she was reading at all. She was living in the story as if it were real, and all the pictures were real too, and she got to the third page and had come to the end, and she said, this is the loveliest story I've ever read or ever shall read in my whole life. I wish I could have gone on reading it for 10 years. The story, the real story, the story that Lewis believed was the ultimate real story, that I believe is the ultimate story as well, is the story of the redemption of us in Jesus Christ. The sorrows of today are but a, a dim shadow of the joys that await us in Christ. What does Revelation 21 say? John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Uh, friend, if you are here this morning, and you're living here in the, this time of lament, my plea with you, as is, is Mike has already mentioned this morning, as is, is Mark referenced to, it would be for you to be reconciled to God. To say, okay, I recognize that I live in this, this time of lament, but, but something more awaits me. I, I believe as I look and, and God in his grace has placed me and, and made me aware of the brokenness of this world, I, I recognize this is, this is not how things are supposed to be and that there's one who created things and is going to restore all things. My encouragement, my plea with you would be be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God by placing your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead. And now by placing your faith in him, you can be saved, not by anything you've done, but by you receiving his perfection, the perfect life that he lived gets credited to you, and by him taking your sin, all your sin gets placed upon his account that he paid for on the cross. The way you receive this gift is by simply placing your faith your trust in him, and I encourage you to do so even now. And then my, my brother and sister in Christ, what would my encouragement to you be this morning, this Easter Sunday? To, to live now on the basis of what God has promised for our future. The end of lament is coming. The end of lament is coming. The resurrection is a powerful testimony to that truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus We trust this morning in your grace. We believe that you are going to do all the things you've promised, that that sorrow will come to an end. We claim that that truth this morning. We place our, our complete confidence in your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.